like you to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes 3. We are back to this series that we began some months ago and have uh, taken a break for various kind of mini-series in between. Just a, a reminder in terms of the, the flow so far, um, this book by the preacher that uh, I believe was uh, Solomon, talks about all of uh, his experiences of seeking satisfaction, seeking God, and, and what he found in uh, various aspects of what he had done to try to seek some measure of satisfaction and how ultimately empty he found so many things. It talks about vanity. It talked about his search for wisdom, education, that kind of a thing. The pleasures in life and all of the experiences that he had. And because of his, his wealth and position, he had access to virtually anything that he wanted. And yet he, he found an emptiness there. His search for wisdom. His search even even in fulfillment in work that he was uh, trying to do in, in building, creating things, and yet again, there was an emptiness when he got there. I'm about to read to you what may be the most famous poem in the world. In uh, the 1950s, Pete Seeger put it to music. In the 60s, uh, a group called The Birds, remember? (laughs) Called The Birds uh, made it into a hit, Turn, Turn, Turn. And between those things, it has, uh, you know, it's been covered many different times, but it has made it uh, one of the more famous sayings that, uh, that is out there throughout the world. But let's remember that uh, we are not reading just a poem, but I'm reading to you the authoritative, inspired, infallible Word of God. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business 
that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is for us. Beautiful words, some puzzling words. But we pray that you would teach us of your magnificent glory and how these words that you gave apply to our lives, to our situation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I told you that uh, this may be one of the most famous poems in the world. And there's all kinds of interpretations of it. Uh, Some see it as very pessimistic, like, uh, oh, so, so what's the use? All these things, they keep happening, everything's in a a cycle and that kind of a thing. Some see it as fatalistic. One Bible commentator, and I might say sadly, called this section hopelessness of struggle of an arbitrary God. It's just a wrong interpretation, sadly. I... uh, I did a search because it was made into a song. Uh, you can do a, a search on song meanings. I wanted to see what people thought the song turn, turn, turn meant. And, uh, you know, a time for every purpose under heaven and so on. And there was, again, there was everything from some very good thoughts to one guy that I, I just felt like took the cake. Now, uh, understand this is a, it, it, it is a direct quote from the Word of God. And uh, one guy, after reading some of the interpretations, said this, Why must you people ruin everything by bringing up religion? <laughs> As if people were somehow inserting God into the Word of God. Uh, so... You know, some people have adapted that uh, somehow as their, their philosophy and so on. Let's take a look at, at it in its context, understanding that this is more than just a, a song, you know, that may have stuck in your head at some point uh, when you heard it. But there is, there is meaning in this 
in terms of why it's recorded for us. Uh, These first verses, uh, one through eight, really are a survey of life and times. For everything, there's a season, a time for every matter under heaven. All kinds of things uh, are uh, appropriate in God's timing and in His context. Now, that's something I'm going to be repeating at various times uh, today. Things are appropriate in God's timing and in the context that He gives. Now, we're going to go through a, a list of topics and situations. It's not exhaustive. It's not an exhaustive list. It couldn't be of everything we face in life. But what we need to grasp is that while all things are not appropriate at all times, when an activity is done in God's timing and context, it becomes appropriate. You'll see what I mean in a minute. But to seek to preempt the sovereign God's timing and context will bring about frustration. It will mess up that which otherwise would have been a good thing to experience. Let me give you one illustration uh, because it, it applies to all mankind and that's simply the whole idea of sexuality. What does he prescribe? One man, one woman, in the context of marriage. In that, in his prescription, it is beautiful, it is good, it is God-glorifying. Outside of that context, outside of how the Creator told us, because He wants what's best for us, outside of it, it becomes ugly and wrong. Very simply. That's what we see when it comes to God's timing, His prescription, His context that He gives to His people for the good of His people. Now, let's, uh, let's take a look at a number of these. Uh, it, as I said, it goes in from prose to poetry. It's two sets of seven complete opposites. And typically in Hebrew poetry, when you have complete opposites, it lists one thing on one end of the spectrum, another thing on the other end. It's saying, and everything in between. That's, and the other thing is, we're, we're not into numerology, but there is something about that number seven in terms of a, a completeness in the Scripture. And here we see it again. And I think it's, it, just, it fits in terms of uh, poetry and saying, this is all-inclusive. You know, he's, he's getting the bottom line of what he's going to say is it includes everything, what, what he's about to conclude. He says uh, in verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Obviously, we have no say over the time to be, that we are born or the context when we are born. But it's just as true on the other end. Isn't it? It's what the Scripture says. All of our days were ordained for us before one of them came to be. 
Now someone might say, well, what about suicide? Doesn't that make it so I can be in control and determine? Determine when my death is? Well, that speaks exactly to my earlier point. It is frustrated man's attempt at preempting God's timing. And I know that there are people here, a number of you, who have experienced the pain of that in your life, of knowing someone that you loved that has gotten to that point. And I know as well that you would say, it's not right, it doesn't feel right when that takes place. And that's exactly the case. It's not God's timing. Interesting that Solomon begins with life and death. Depressed people sometimes ask, well, why was I born or why can't I die? On both ends of things. He goes on, he says, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what, what is planted. Now, he, he uses something that people is certainly in that day, uh, but even in our day, we understand we may not all be farmers but we understand the idea of, you know, you don't uh, plant in the, in the harvest. When it's time to harvest, you better harvest. There's a certain amount of time. You've got to do it then or the, the crop will uh, be ruined. And that's, that's his emphasis here. There is a time for that. Pruning must be at the right time. Then verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, he's not saying there's, there's a time, when he says a time to kill, he's not saying a time to murder. It's a different word there. We do see in the Old Testament that uh, there were wars that were directed, capital punishment. There was a time to kill. But here again uh, is proving the earlier point, and that is that when killing is outside of the right time and the appropriate context, it becomes murder, which is prohibited by God. He goes on and says, a time to break down, a time to build up. You know, we see that principle in cities. You know, there's a time to demolish something, to tear it down. There's a time to renovate something. And those things, even restoration, can sometimes lead to verse 4. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. You may not be in a time of your life where laughter is coming as easily as it did at some other points in your life. But know this, while God sometimes reaches us through those times of laughter and those times of joy, He sometimes does as often as not. It is through those times of pain and tears. Last week I gave you a quote from C.S. Lewis that talked about how God shouts to us in our pain. Let me give you a little bit more of that quote. He said, 
we can rest contentedly in our sins and in our stupidities. And anyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating will admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. Remember the rest of the quote? It is God's megaphone to a deaf world. God uses that in our lives. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Uh, In all probability here, this is referring to uh, the custom. In fact, it's referred to back in 2 Kings uh, when they would conquer an area. One of the ways they would really conquer an area and uh, uh, subdue people would be to put stones into their fields to make their fields useless. And then to restore them would be the removing of the stones. He says there is a, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away. Depending on what the search is for, it can be devastating when you get to the point, and we saw that we've seen this with Solomon where, where he has pursued meaning in some area and he's pursued it to the very end. He has every experience in that one area and he gets to the end and he says, it's empty here. It's not satisfying like I was determined it would be and like I knew it would be. I tried it, he's saying. And that's so we don't have to try everything he did. A time to tear and a time to sow. Now in that day, the the idea of tearing had to do with grief. The tearing of, of clothing. And the idea of A time to sow is, there's a time to move beyond that. Not that we ever forget what that grief was about, but a time to begin to move forward, to sow it back up. A time to keep silence, a time to speak. You ever wish there was a little guy sitting on your shoulder telling you when that time was? Wouldn't that save us a lot of of heartburn? It's time to speak. It's time not to speak. I've often wished that myself. A time to love and a time to hate. Now, love is pretty self-explanatory. By the way, people that were trying to explain meaning in this, they all liked that first part, but they said, I don't get this, a time to hate. So what are we to hate? But we should hate what God hates. There is a time to hate. Injustice, acts of prejudice, inequities, blaspheming of God. There is a time. A time for war and a time for peace. Now, if you look back over all these areas, there, there can be a tension. Because sometimes we don't know when is the appropriate reaction. Remember I said 
the right thing in the right context in God's timing is good and appropriate, but we don't, we don't always know that. There can be that frustration of not knowing, is this the right time if it's not explicitly spoken of in the Scripture? It can end up inappropriate. He comes back to a question that is recurring through this book. Verse 9, the question of meaning. What gain has the worker from his toil? Again, since, since everything has its time and the determination of that time is God's providence, to not do it in that can lead to a frustration. So how is that resolved? How do you deal with that? Well, just a reminder of kind of how I've been forming uh, the messages here in Ecclesiastes, what we have done is we, we've looked at what the Scripture is saying and then we're kind of, uh, and this is life under the sun. In other words, here on this earth, this is what we cope with. And then we've kind of backed up and said, okay, let's see from God's perspective. What is the perspective, the above the sun perspective? He says in verse 10, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, before I read you the, the rest of that, I was just struck a few moments ago uh, as we were saying, great is thy faithfulness. And Mark chose that hymn, and he, did, he didn't know that... Uh, uh, today is our anniversary, and at our wedding, the congregation sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So that's always been a special hymn to us in God's providence, in His timing. But here, here's what struck me, because that, that's what I was immediately thinking of. But I looked out across the congregation, and I saw the whole gamut. And this is very typical of many songs, but... Uh, certainly in worship, I saw the whole gamut of emotions from people smiling to people weeping. And it just struck me how appropriate that is. When we talk about God's faithfulness, it is from one end of the spectrum to the other. Isn't it? That's, that's what is being said here, really. He's there from one end to the other, and everything in between. Great is thy faithfulness. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart yet so that he can find out what God has done from the beginning. He cannot find out what God has done from the beginning. That idea of eternity in our hearts, there's something in there, and it has to do with a longing for something else, and he's saying it is in everyone's heart. When I was in seminary, uh, we had chapel a couple times a week, 
you know, because we're in seminary, so you have chapel. And one of the speakers that we had was a man named Don Richardson. He came and told his experience. He had written a couple of books by that time. But he told his experience of being in uh, uh, Dutch New Guinea and of dealing with the Sawi tribe there. He went into this tribe and, uh, you know, they were, they were treacherous. So much so that when he learned the language and so on, he gave the gospel through the account of what happened in Jesus' life. And when they got to Judas, betraying Jesus, the tribesmen clapped and cheered. They had so suppressed God that they thought that was a good thing. And they would do that with one another. They would get someone to entrust them and then betray them and kill them. They thought Judas was the hero. And he, he said, God, how am I? How will these people ever come to Christ? How, how will they ever hear the truth? He continued to live with them with some fear. Would I be the one, he thought? And he was there when there was a, a warring between a couple of tribes, battles that took place. And then after those battles, they decided to have a truce. And in the ceremony which he was observing, one of the chiefs took his little baby son and he handed that baby to the other chief. Of course, Don Richardson said, what's going on? What is this? That he, it was explained to him, that's the peace child. You see, as long as it, it's a truce, it's a surety because as long as that chief has the son of the other chief, this chief will never attack that tribe. And so they call that the peace child. And he saw there is the gospel. And he shared about God who gave his son to bring peace. There was eternity in their hearts. It was suppressed, but it was there. His second book was called Eternity in Their Hearts because he heard from people all over the world of those things happening and how though the truth may be extremely suppressed, God had put something in people in various parts of the world. So, what about the applications of this? What the above the sun perspective? There is a freedom in believing in God's providence and His timing. As long as we think it all depends on me, there is pressure when we know that God is sovereign. There is a freedom to enjoy His glory. There is an enjoyment in believing in God's providence. Verse 12, I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. 
also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. His things, in his context, in his timing, can bring us joy. But it's God's gift to man. You see, our tendency, the the under-the-sun perspective, the earthly perspective is, I've earned everything I've got and I deserve it. The the above-the-sun perspective is even the ability to do good is by His grace. It is a gift from God. I have what I will never deserve and could never earn. In Christ, for those who are trusting in Christ alone, there is forgiveness, there is freedom from guilt, there is eternal life, there is hope, there is reason to go on. This is God's gift to man terms of God's timing. It's always been best. The ultimate illustration is in the life of Jesus. He was born when? In the fullness of time. In the perfect timing. He began his ministry preaching, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again and again, when he was in hostile situations, he would slip away saying, my my time is not yet at hand. And then, at just the right time, he said, my time is near. And it took him to the cross. After he was resurrected, They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Here was his answer. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. What was his answer? There is a time for everything. And there are some things that will remain in the hands of the Father. How wise is this? How much freedom there is in this? Maybe you saw one of the many billboards that was around. Yesterday, May 21st, Judgment Day. What is that? Harold Camping, who at various times through his adult life has made such predictions. This will be the day, absolutely. He ignored the clear teaching of Scripture, even that which I just shared with you. Otherwise, he would not have done that. And I'm not questioning his sincerity. I don't have that information. I don't know his heart. I hope it was right. But let's face it. It has become an embarrassment to him and those who followed it. It was joked about by those who don't know Christ and by those who do. 
Why? He sought to preempt that which belongs to God. And today, I guarantee you, there is frustration because of that, if not by him, by many who followed his ways. Man's attempt to control or predict God will always fail. The preacher in verse 14 says, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Stand in awe of the sovereign God. Let's pray together. That, Lord, must be our response to stand in awe of you, to see how futile Harold Camping's attempt was. But, Lord, will you help us to reflect in our own life of where we're doing that just in a different way? And will you help us to step back, to glory in you, not in our control, but in the fact that you are the sovereign God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.